Awesome job. All right, let's go back to 1 Kings 19. They already took Mount Carmel down. It's gone. Pastor was up on that ladder last week, and we were all worried about him falling off. But he made it. He survived. But, you know, what happens so many times in our Christian walk especially is, is after we've gone through this really high mountaintop experience, we got to go back to the valley. You see, you can't live on the mountain. Uh, Tony and Bonnie bought them a really beautiful place uh, up at Casa Rio or somewhere like that. And they're, they're further, they're closer to the Colorado border. And um, there's certain times of year they can't get in there. It's just an old abandoned uh, ski area and the roads and the snow get so deep they can't get back in there. But man, the breathtaking views that they're posting so many times during the spring of the year. And of course, they're headed toward winter now. Well, we went to uh, Glen Rose. We took April. Uh, April and Chad are, are on a weekend away. Um, uh, this is a good thing for them. Bev and I started many years ago. When we st- first started in the ministry, we would take time away not only from the church but from our kids. And I'm glad that uh, April and Chad are doing that. And they're, uh, they're up in Denver today. They're in a mile-high city and uh, enjoying some time away. And I'm very proud of them for doing that. Well, yesterday we were in Glen Rose, and so we decided um, to go out to the uh, Dinosaur Valley State Park. And so we get out to the park, and um, the girls want to see the dinosaur tracks that are down. So we go down in the river, and we're looking at the dinosaur tracks, and we thought they were real cool, and they said there were some others in different directions, so we decided to go find some more. And we walk up this little trail, and the sign, a little small sign, it's about that big, says, Paluxy River Overlook, that away." And so we decide we're going to go that way. And uh, if you've been there, uh, it's a really beautiful scenic view. You're walking in the, you know, and all of a sudden, uh, there's a little steep incline. And that should have been clue number one. Okay, so my wife and Addie decide they'll wait for Laney and I. Because Laney has already gone up the steep incline, has made a sharp left turn, and is stuck halfway up trying to climb the rest of this mountain so uh being you know superman poppy uh i go up the steep incline i turn get behind her i'm about two steps three steps behind her and i said laney maybe it would be best for us to back down and take the real trail the real trail it's going that way this is not the trail and laney says oh but poppy i can see the top it's just right up there Never believe a 12-year-old. <laughs> Every step I took was straight up. We're grabbing rocks and holding on to the edge, trying to see if... And, and I'm telling Laney, I, you know, I'm behind her. She's in front of me, and I keep telling her, Laney, the best thing for us to do is turn and go, oh, we're almost there, we're almost there. And, and we... I took pictures. I've got it, but I, I, I should have given a post to, to Robert this morning, but... Anyway, we, we, we get to the top, and we see this young couple that Laney had spotted. They were going up this way, and we get to the top, and we're walking by them, and one of them has this Jesus t-shirt on, and the other guy's standing there, and he's breathing hard, and he's about 16, 17 years old, and I look at him, and I said, I will never follow you up a mountain again. <laughs> Needless to say, we get to the very top, and there's some beautiful, breathtaking views. And then going down, I said, Laney, we will follow the trail down this time. I don't care if it takes us an hour longer. We're going down the trail because it's a trail that someone else obviously planned and designed so that you could get up and down safely. 
Well, in 1 Kings 19, we have this, the story in chapter 18 is, is that Elijah goes up on Mount Carmel, and in the very end of the chapter, he defeats the 400 prophets of Baal. He gets down and begins to pray, and God sends a rain, and the rain begins to fall. He, Elijah tells Ahab, get down because I hear the sound of abundance of rain. But in chapter 19 is where most of us live. Because in chapter 19, something happens in Elijah's life that really kind of turns him backwards a little bit. You know, it, it's like those moments in your Christian life whenever you've been praying about something, praying about something, praying about something, and God answers your prayer, and it's a great answer. But then it's all of a sudden, it's kind of like, what now? Where do we go from here? And the Bible says in 1 Kings 19, verse 1, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Now, Ahab, should be, Ahab shouldn't be running his mouth right now. Because God's just sent rain. His country, his, his nation is no longer under a drought. Ahab should have kept his mouth shut. But Ahab runs his mouth to his wife Jezebel. Jezebel says, and with how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Elijah killed all 400 prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sends a messenger. Have you ever got a messenger sent to you from Jezebel? I think you have. You ever had somebody come up to you and say, Shannon, I need to tell you something that Holly said about you. Hello? Hello? You became a messenger of Jezebel. You ever believe something about somebody without even hearing what their side of the story is? Welcome to my world. You know, so many times we, we listen to someone else and someone else brings some garbage to us and says to us, well, I, you know, since I love you, since you're my brother or sister in Christ, since I love you, I'm going to tell you what they said. And you just became a messenger for Jezebel. So Jezebel sends messengers, they go to Elijah, and, they t and she says to Elijah, I'm going to do exactly to you what you did to all of my prophets within 24 hours. And here's Elijah. I mean, I, right now I want to cue the Rocky music. Because here's Elijah. He ought to rise to his feet. He ought to say, bring it on, sister. We just killed 400 of the prophets of Baal. We just destroyed the enemy. It rained for the first time. The drought is over. And Elijah ought to jump up on the top of the, the, the mountain again and say, bring it on. But the Bible says that Elijah did what a lot of us would do. And he ran from the presence of God. I mean, here he is. He's done a great thing. Wonderful things have happened. And yet, look what happens in verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and he said, It is enough. Here, here is Elijah, the greatest victory of his entire Christian life. God is fixing to do some wonderful and powerful things in his life, and yet Elijah wants to die. Elijah is ready to give up. You see, in our Christian walk, we've got to understand something. And when we achieve a great victory in our Christian walk, the devil does not like that. 
The devil doesn't like whenever you give God the glory. You see, the problem is a lot of times, instead of giving God the glory, we take the glory for ourselves. And, and we say, look what I've done. And we beat up on our own chest. And we say, look everything that I've accomplished. And yet Elijah didn't do that. Elijah didn't have any reason whatsoever to, to give praise to anything but to God. And yet Elijah finds himself in a very bad place. You see, the enemy's always quick to respond to a victory. The enemy's always quick to respond to a victory. The enemy despises the truth. When the prophets of Baal were destroyed, it took away Jezebel's ability to spread her eyes. And so we see that it, it despi- they, the, the, the enemy despises the truth. You had everybody lie something about you? Everybody, everybody ever lie about you behind your back? And you find out about it and not even given the chance to, to tell the truth? The person gets mad at you, gets angry at you? That's what happens when the enemy gets involved. Whenever the enemy gets involved, you're, it will damage your testimony. You ever had your testimony damaged by somebody who lied about you, despised you? Share things about you that weren't true. You see, that's what the enemy does. The, the, the enemy will deceive with tales. There's always two sides to every story. There's always, matter of fact, somebody said there's three sides to every story. There's his side, her side, and the truth. But the enemy will deceive with tales. They'll point their finger and say, you see that old Tom over there? I know about Tom. I remember Tom when Tom used to do so-and-so. I love the fact that the scripture tells us that when God forgives us for our sin, he casts it as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. You see, the enemy always is quick to respond to a victory. Number two, the energy to fight must come from God. Pick up verse 5. Verse 5, and he, as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, the angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was cake, bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose, and he did eat and drink. And he went in the strength of the Lord, uh, the strength of that meat, forty days and forty nights, unto the Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, here he is. He's depressed. He's discouraged. He needs some energy. And the Bible says that God wakes him up and an angel has prepared food for him. I find something interesting about this stretch of verses right here because these verses right here could almost be repeated in the book of Exodus and the same things could be said about Moses. You see, this very same mountain, Mount Horeb, is also interpreted Mount Sinai. This is the very same mountain that God would take Moses, not once, but twice. He sent him up there once, and he destroyed the tablets before he ever made it down, so he had to go back the second time. You ever had to go back the same place twice because you screwed up the first time? Yeah. It, you know, it's one of those things, you've got to take that test again because you failed it, you didn't study for it, and the teacher says, oh, you've got to take it again? Yeah. So... Moses has to do that. The very same mountain, very same place. You remember in the story of Moses and the children of Israel as God's leading them through the wilderness that God sends fresh manna from heaven? We're almost for sure that that manna in today's modern day terms is is interpreted Krispy Kreme. We're almost positive that there will be Krispy Kreme donuts in heaven. Same place, second time around. Because if you go read the story of Moses, what you're going to find out about Moses, Mike, is, is that Moses went to the Mount Horeb and he hid himself in a cave. 
And it was there that God found Moses and God pulled him out and, and God began to show him great things. Well, God's going to do the same thing here for, for Elijah, but your energy must come from God. Don't get sucked into the battle when you're not ready to fight the, with the, the strength of the Lord. Don't, get, don't let the enemy pull you in and get you all riled up and then you realize, I don't, I don't want to fight this battle. I don't have the energy. to. It, you know, it, it's, it, I love what... Tillerson said this past week in one of his comments whenever they were asking if he called the president a moron. Which, by the way, I believe he has called the president a moron because I've called him a moron several times. So, but they asked him, they said, have you ever called the president a moron? And he says, you know, where I come from, which is Dallas, Texas, he says, where I come from, we don't respond to petty things. That's what he said. That was the end of the story. Now the problem with that is, is that a lot of us in this room, the reason why that we get sucked into battles and the reason why that we end up not having enough strength and energy to withstand is because we get sucked into things that we're not prepared to, to fight with. We don't have the energy. I, we went to, I have to tell you, back up, we went to the Loco Coyote for lunch yesterday. I had an 18-ounce ribeye. Whew. I ate about half of it. I had some... The big old onion rings that they cooked down there. And these things were awesome. You know, I was thinking to myself, matter of fact, I told my wife and the girls as we got in the Jeep and we're heading down the road, I said, we're going to eat very light for supper tonight because that meal was way too big. I didn't know that Laney and I were going to, to climb Mount Everest. <laughs> I had no idea. I promise you, by the time I got to the top of that mountain, that 18-ounce that ribeye wasn't around anymore. It was gone. I'm glad I did, though, because there were several times I had to take my hands and shove her up over the next ledge and then grab a hold and figure out a way to get this old body up over the top of that same ledge. You see, sometimes we don't even realize that God's preparing us for the battle and God's given us strength. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the energy. You may not even realize it, but He may be feeding you today for a battle you'll face tomorrow. There's sometimes we have to understand that the source of our energy will determine the, the ability to withstand the test. How much strength you've got. Have you read your Bible on a daily basis? Are you praying on a daily basis? Are you seeking God on a daily basis? In everything give thanks. In everything seek His face. Are you truly allowing Him to give you a life-sustaining energy that will allow you to face the battle that's ahead of you? The strength to withstand the test can only come from the meat of the Word of God. You have to be, you see, when the battle comes, guys, if you don't have this book, he said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. He said in 2 Timothy 2.15, to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He said in John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You see, he wants us to have the word of God so that when the energy comes against us, and when the enemy is withstanding against us, and when we don't have the ability to stand on our own, we can begin to quote the word of God. It was the word of God that will deliver you from every situation in your life. Not my word, not my strength, not my energy, but the word of God will stand forever. It stood for over 2,000 years, and it will be standing forever a lot longer than it has the word of God will deliver you it's the meat of the word of God that can give you the ability that can give you the energy that you need now Chad drinks a lot of these energy drinks I think that's his secret to blowing up energy drinks you know when I drink one of those things it just makes me like a nervous cat 
I don't sleep at night, I wonder what in the world's going on. I wake up, you know, I go to bed at 9, wake up at 11, I'm like, what did I do today? Lord, what did I do wrong? He's up in heaven looking down laughing going, you drank one of them stupid energy drinks, didn't you? I can't drink coffee past 10 o'clock in the morning. It just keeps me up. I don't know how y'all do that stuff. You drink that, that caffeine, it just keeps me awake. But the energy that we need to have the sustainability comes only through perseverance. Guys, listen to me very carefully today. As a Christian, you're going to fight far more battles than you did when you were lost. <laughs> you're going to be attacked from directions as a Christian you never dreamed of. You, you can be far past something. You can be way past your addiction. And yet the devil will use that somewhere down the line for some old long-tongued Jezebel to start something about you. You can be way past your divorce. You can be way past your, your failures and your moral d- demise in your life. And yet Jezebel is going to slick into your life sometime and begin to start garbage behind your back. And you're going to have to have the ability. You know, we're going to have to say like Rex Tillerson said, we just don't respond to that nonsense. We don't give pettiness a place. I'm going to give you the last thing this morning, and I hope this will really encourage you. You see, what to do when the enemy closes in, number one, the enemy is always quick to respond to a victory. Number two, your energy to fight must come from God. Number three, find encouragement from past victories. Now, I left my notes out on the, on the front out there. If you'd like to get a copy of these when you leave, you can take them with you, because I believe that some of you needed to hear that. Find encouragement from past victories. You know, isn't it funny how we remember our failures? In 2008, Coach Rushing gave me a football team for our Christian school that was loaded with talent. It would have taken a moron not to win the state championship that year. And so we decided we were really good in 2007. We decided in 2008, the very first game of the year, we would schedule a team called the Richland Springs Coyotes. Now, if you don't know six-man football, then you don't have a clue who Richland Springs is. But if you know six-man football, you'll know that Richland Springs has won more state championships than any other public school in the state of Texas. We decided, week zero, very first game of the year, that we were good enough that we could beat those guys. So we invited them to our house, and they came in here and quickly hung 48 points on us in two quarters, and the game was over. Oh, I, I grabbed a hold of a lot of things that day. The, the, they had a radio announcer that was in the booth with us, and his exact words were, he said, this, the score ought to be 28-24, and we should still be playing. This game should have never gotten to this point. But the, he said this, he said, the referees... Destroyed a good game. And you know, I could have got wrapped up in that. I I could have the very next week, whenever I felt like the referees made a bad call, I could have jumped on a referee. But you know, there's one thing I've learned. When you jump on a referee during a football game, he becomes more concerned about what you're doing than what's being done in the game. He'll overlook things in the game because what you're saying to him is in the back of his mind. Now, some of you mamas and daddies and grandmas and grandpas that are going to go to this select football game or select basketball game, remember that. Just keep your mouth shut. 
Now, being, being a high school and junior high referee, basketball games, I'm telling you today, just shut up. I, you know, I have turned around in the middle of basketball games and threw my whistle at guys. Here, you, you obviously know better than what I'm doing. You blow this thing for a while. There was a guy at a game sitting up on the very top. He had about 10 teenagers around him. And he just, every time I'd come down to court, Curtis, it was blah, blah, blah. blah. You missed that traveling call. You, you, you know, this and this and this. I just turned around. I actually had an extra whistle in my pocket. I grabbed it and threw it up to the top of the stands and said, Hey, next time you see something, just blow the whistle and let me know what it is. <laughs> Do you know the rest of the game he never moved when it was over with? He brought my whistle back and he said, Thanks for the whistle. I didn't have to use it. You see, here's the thing. When we get so wrapped up and so involved in our failures, we forget how many victories we've won. And that's where Elijah is right now. He ate for three days. The Bible said the angel of the Lord woke him up three days, sent him to the Mount Horeb. Mount Sinai is literally interpreted a place where God abides. God sends Elijah up there. I want you to pick it up with me. We're fine. Let's pick it up. Verse number 9. And he came thither unto a cave, the very same cage, the very same cave that Moses was in. And he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Elijah, what are you doing here? Can you imagine sometimes whenever we're going through one of those pity party times in our life when God shows up and says, Why are you here? How, how did you end up here? You may find yourself without a job. You may find yourself without any money. You may find yourself without a spouse. And God shows up and said, how'd you get here? This, you see, you've got to understand something. There's a perfect will of God and a permissive will of God in your life. The perfect will of God is, is that we all get saved and we all go to heaven. And we all live a happy life. The permissive will of God is whenever we get out of the perfect will of God and we begin to do things on our own and make our own choices and our own decisions and either get ahead of God or aside from God and that's when we find ourselves in a cave. And God comes to us and says, what are you doing here? Notice what he does. And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They've thrown down thine altar. This is Elijah speaking. God, this church you gave me to pastor, they're a bunch of lunatics. Look what they've done. He, that's what he's telling them. God, I've been jealous for you. I've preached your word. I've preached your gospel. I've shared the good news. But notice he says, they've thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. God, you sent me to pastor a bunch of idiots. And Lord, they're doing everything that you told them not to do. And here I am, God, I'm the only one that's doing the right thing. You ever been there? <laughs> and he said, go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. He took my mountain down. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains, breaking in pieces and the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. Listen to me. We get wrapped up sometimes thinking that God's not around because we can't feel his presence. 
Hello? We live in this touchy-feely world, don't we? We, we want to touch it and feel it and hug it and hold it. And God begins to show Elijah, I'm not in the great ways. I'm not in the big things that you see going on. Those, the, I've allowed those to happen. I created those things. But he goes on. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so that when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant and thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek to take my life. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. You know what? God doesn't say to Elijah, Elijah, it's okay. You're just having a pity party. It's okay. It's okay. It's all Christians go through this stage, Elijah. It's okay. No, God says to him, Go do what I told you to do. Stop worrying about what they're not doing. Because he repeats it twice. They've slain your prophets. They've torn down your altars. They've done this and this and this. And he says, I want you to quit worrying about what everybody else is doing. And I want you to do what I've called you to do. It shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 men in Israel, and all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth that hath not kissed him. So God says to Elijah, stop worrying about your past. Would you, would you just give me a... Just a few minutes to share these six thoughts with you. First of all, the enemy will sap your energy that's given to you by God by constantly reminding you of your failures. He will constantly remind you of your failures. You find yourself in a cave today because every time you turn around, somebody's slapping you in your face with how many times you failed. I can sit here this morning and tell you so many ways in my Christian walk with God that I failed. One of the areas that the Lord is really working hard with me and my wife both right now is not to say nothing negative, not to say, let me correct my English, not to say anything negative about anybody. But you know how you get tested? When it's the ones that's closest to you that do the most damage. Isn't it hard? I mean, just being honest. Hardest person for me to pray for is my wife. There's just something wrong about that. And I think most women in here would say the hardest person for me to pray for is my husband. Now, it's not hard for you to pray for him whenever you're saying, God, I wish you'd strike him with a lightning bolt. Amen? But whenever you really are having a problem, what do we do? We enlist the help of Jezebel. 
You know who the number one enemy to your marriage is? Somebody who's not happy in their marriage. Because they're willing to chime in with you and say, well, let me tell you about what my husband did. And the sad part about that is, is that usually what happens is, is what the other husband did is not near as bad as what your husband did. Because Jezebel uses her words to remind us of our past. I have a news alert for you today. God will never use your past against you. You teenagers, listen, preacher, this morning. God will never use your past against you. Some of you young couples and young family that are, that are over here this morning, y'all, y'all need to listen to me today. God, God does not use your past to destroy your present. God uses your past to empower your present. He uses the failures of your past to give you strength to say, you know, Coach, how many times have we told our kids whenever they lost? We, we, we don't lose a lot in our Christian school. We don't lose a lot. But when we lose, I used to tell my boys, when we lost that game against Richmond Springs that year and went on to win the state championship, what I told our boys is, I want you to remember how this feels because you don't ever want to feel this way again. You see, the problem with a lot of us in this room is we forgot what it felt like when we had those failures in our life. We forgot how it felt to sleep all night long with your eyes open and tears coming out of your eyes because who wants to be reminded of their past? But that's exactly the way the devil will destroy you. By constantly reminding you of your failures. Number two, he'll criticize your accomplishments. Every time you do something good, he's going to criticize it. When your marriage is in a mess, you know what happens? You criticize everything. Well, honey, I cooked supper tonight. Yeah, but it wasn't that great. (laughs) You know, it's funny how whenever you're madly in love with each other, you can make that statement. It's like, honey, I cooked supper tonight, and she'll lie her teeth out. Yeah, and it was the best meal I've ever ate in my life. But you be mad at each other and cook supper. And she's like, yeah, that was a bunch of garbage right there, I'm telling you. You see, the devil will sap your energy by criticizing your accomplishments. Number three, the devil will sap your energy by creating a defeated mindset. You're defeated before you ever start. I don't know why I'm going to do it. I don't, I don't know why I'm going to do the laundry. Last time I did it, she didn't even notice that I did it. Oh, she noticed because she refolded everything that you folded wrong. <laughs> you know that recipe that you got off of Pinterest as a man and you cooked it and it really was bad whenever it was all said and done? There's a reason why it still ain't laying around. You see, we get defeated and even in our marriages. But let me, let me give you this. Psalm 51.10. Brother Robert, could you please put that scripture up there? Psalms 51.10. This is David's words. I want you to look at it. David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Here's what David said. In Psalm 51, if you read the history behind Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is written just after David's baby dies. You know, the baby he had because he had sex with Bathsheba when he shouldn't have. It wasn't his wife. The baby dies and David begins to acknowledge his sin. He says all that. But then he gets to verse 10. He says, just God create me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit, a steadfast spirit within me. You say, well, how should I respond as a Christian? Number one, 
when Satan reminds you of your past failures, remind him of his future. Hello? When he reminds you and trying to get you to, to stay in the past and to live in the past, remind him that he will be locked up and thrown in hell with everybody else that's going to spend eternity there. Number two, when doubt, discouragement, and depression clouds up on your life, resist the temptation to return to bad thinking. You know how the devil learns how to destroy us. You see, he knows what caused the last failure in your life. And he's willing to use it again. So when doubt and depression and discouragement show up and the clouds begin to come into your life, then resist the temptation to return to that type of thinking. The Bible says to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And lastly, when wicked Jezebel, and by the way, Jezebel comes in many forms. Jezebel doesn't have to be a woman. Jezebel can be a man who is trying to destroy your marriage. Jezebel can be a man who is not happy in his own relationship. And so by making compliments to you about how good you look and how wonderful you smell. You see, Jezebel can come in many forms. Jezebel can come in the form of a friend who loves you so much that they're going to slip a little bit of dope into your drink. Or they're going to give you a little hit off of a pipe. Or they're going to take you down to the bar and let you drink away your miseries. Jezebel comes in many forms. Be careful. Be careful whenever you're listening to the voice of Jezebel. Because she will enlist the pits of hell to attack you. So preacher, what do I do? I wrote this down because I felt like when the Holy Spirit gave it to me this morning that this is exactly the way he wanted me to say it. A lot of times I'll scribble my notes out, and I'm, you know, it's a good thing that I can read my own writing because a lot of times I get to thinking so fast and the Holy Spirit speaking to me. The Holy Spirit speaks to me faster than I can write. So I just start at some point, just start scribbling. And I'm like, yeah, I remember what that said. This, but this, this was very clear, so I want you to listen to it. When wicked Jezebel raises her voice and enlists the pits of hell against you, rejoicing knowing that Jesus has enough confidence in you to allow the attack to happen, because every time you survive a battle, you're one step closer to your destiny. Jesus never said we weren't going to have problems and trials and tribulation. But every time you survive a storm, every time you survive the battle, you're one step closer to being where God wants you to be. Every head bowed and every eye closed.